is what makes us, uh, nothing makes us worthy to be leaders in God's church, but repentance. And so we're going to be uh, spending a few weeks in Titus looking at what the problem was there in, in Crete, uh, but we're going to see some commonalities with some of the issues that we face today. And um, there's just so much here in Titus. This morning, actually, the, the series is Guarding the Common Faith, but that's also the title of this morning's uh, message. Titus 1, 1 through 4. All right, we got some kids here this morning. Good morning. Are you awake? Hey, Annabeth. You look so pretty. Do you like treasure? Do any of you like treasure? You know, gold, uh, diamonds, rubies. Do any of you have any treasure? You don't like treasures? Or, or, or gold or gems or jewels? Do you have any? You do? Wow, where do you keep it? Do you wear it or do you hide it? or Treasure. Um, in the treasure box. Hidden treasures and jewels of all kind have been sought out throughout our history because of how valuable they are. They're worth a lot of money. And, and that gives people that own them power. Can you imagine having a collection like this? Look at that. Wow, and that little girl's standing back there and she's like, wow, look at that. Well, obviously, these particular jewels belong to a king or queen. It's a crown and a scepter and the king's orb. And, and I don't, you can't see the picture real clearly, but it's covered with diamonds and gold and jewels and, and pearls. And what is that on top? Is that a blue? What is that? A sapphire? Pro probably worth millions of dollars. Obviously belonging to somebody important. And plus they have something called historical value, right? They're, that's a part of mankind's history and, and, and probably been around for a long time. So they're part of history, a piece of our past. That makes them worth a lot. But they're also worth a ton of money. I mean, some folks would see that picture and think, man, I wouldn't have to work again in my life if I, if I had that much to lose. But what do you think would happen if the little girl in the picture tried to break the glass or even scratch it. Sirens would go off, lights would flash, armed guards might come running and who knows, the doors might automatically shut and uh, maybe a trap door open up and she disappears all of a sudden. Because what you don't see in this picture is all the security measures that are in place to protect that priceless collection. Hidden cameras, alarms, armed guards, secret vaults that the collection might even drop into, like our Constitution and, and Bill of Rights and Declaration of Independence. They're in a protective case that if something bad, like nuclear war or somebody tries to break in, it just goes down into a concrete vault. That's how priceless those things are. Go ahead, go to the next picture. See? There's a, a, a museum where a lot of precious jewels and, and, and gems are kept. And you can't see all the protective measures there, but look at how thick that glass is. Jewels or treasures this valuable 
are often kept in protective cases, guarded by all kinds of security measures, so no one can steal them. They're precious. They're really kind of priceless because they couldn't be replaced. They're one of a kind. Some thief might try to, to steal it and replace it with something fake, broken pieces of glass or something to make look like the real thing. But once everyone figured out that it was fake, it would be worthless because no one wants to see fake jewels. Now, in Paul's letter to Titus, uh, he, Titus was a young leader in, among the churches that Paul and he had planted on the island of Crete. And Paul talks about our faith here in this letter, what we believe, the, the Christian faith concerning Jesus and who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He talks about it as if it was a precious jewel, something that we should treasure way, way more than just colorful stones. He, he says our faith is precious partly because it's been around a long time. Our faith is rooted in the history of God revealing himself to his people. God made promises way back at the beginning. From the garden, he made promises. Um, and ours is a faith that we share in common, that that we own together. We believe it. It's precious to all of us. God himself in Jesus makes our faith possible. Jesus paid the ultimate price for, for our faith. He gave his very life to make our faith uh, possible. So our faith is very valuable. And we need to guard and protect because there are people out there who would like to steal our faith and replace it with something fake, broken pieces of glass that are worthless. There are people that want to try to distort our faith and make it something that it is, it is not. We need to guard and protect the grace and the gospel that we believe. They want to steal it, what it really is and what it really means, so that it loses its value. Paul wants Titus, this young pastor on Crete, to install the security systems in the church at, on Crete, in the churches, so that the faith will remain precious and protected. A lot of what this letter to Titus is about is protecting the faith that we have in Jesus and the cross. So over the next few weeks, as we look at this letter from Paul to Titus, and really the, the, the Christians at Crete, Pay attention to how precious our faith is. We're going to hear a lot about what it is, our faith, but why it's so precious and how we need to guard and protect it. Okay? Good? Put your listening ears on as I read the text and talk with the grown-ups a little bit. When I talk to the kids, it's for the grown-ups too. And when I talk to the grown-ups, it's for the kids too. So everybody put your listening ears on. Titus 1, 1 through 4. This is God's word. It's not mine. I didn't write it. This church didn't write it. This is God's word given to his people so that we can know him and see what he's like. Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect, 
and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, manifested in his word through the preaching, which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words that Paul wrote to Titus. Thank you that they are inspired by your Holy Spirit, that they are free from error. Thank you that your word contains everything we need to know for salvation. Your word contains everything we need to know to give us an appreciation for the precious nature of our faith and how to protect it. And Lord, I pray that if one thing happens out of this morning's message, that it would cause us to hold what we believe in such high regard, that it would be more precious to us than any jewels, historical or otherwise, that this faith, who Jesus is and what he has done for us, would be absolutely the most important and most valuable thing that we own and possess. Father, by your spirit, change our hearts. Bring our hearts to life. Lord, please get me out of the way so people can see Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would cleanse my lips, that my mouth would declare your praise. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Crete was known for immorality and hypocrisy. It had become proverbial. The, the Cretans had become proverbial. If you were a liar and a cheat in the Roman world, they called you a Cretan. You know how like we might say, you lie like a rug. They would say, in the Roman times, they would say, you lie like a Cretan. Uh, the Cretans were known for lying and believing the lies they told. They seemed to have an entitlement mentality, which the ends justified the means. It was okay to lie and cheat if you were getting what you wanted. Great culture in which to plant a church. Not. I, yeah, I think I want to go plant a church among a bunch of hypocrites and liars. But Paul and Timothy did. And, and, and then Paul moved on to his next missionary church planting project and left Titus there on Crete to pastor and lead the young churches on the island. And the Cretan believers struggled with allowing the culture of the island to creep in to the church. They had trouble with lying and believing the lies. Such a culture distorted the true faith which Paul and Titus had preached, and it had to be stopped. So a big part of this letter is the security system the protective measures that Paul instructed Titus to put into place in order to protect and guard the pure, simple, precious truth of the gospel, the treasure which was their common faith. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at many of those protective measures, including church leadership, why it is so important that our elders especially, but also anyone in leadership, acts as security guards to protect our common faith. 
And, and, and Paul's going to give Titus and us, by extension, several tests to determine whether that precious faith is real or fake, whether it's genuine or a cheap copy. First, we see that Paul writes to Titus and, by extension, the Cretan new believers with an authority that comes from God. Paul is an expert on precious treasure because he was instructed by the creator of that treasure, God himself. Look back at the first phrase of verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In those two phrases, a servant of God, or more correctly, a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In those two phrases, Paul gives the reason that Titus, and those Titus is instructing and mentoring, the reason that they should listen and pay heed to his commands, because Paul is a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. A slave, not just a hired hand or a domestic servant. Paul calls himself a slave of God. A slave in the Roman world had no rights or will of his own. A slave in the Roman world belonged to his master and could only speak how his, and act how his master wanted him to. A slave obeyed their master to the T or else suffered the consequences. Paul is conveying that the message he preached and these instructions were the words of his master. They weren't his own words. He wasn't speaking out of his own will and mind. These instructions were the words of Paul's master, God. And therefore, they should be obeyed as commands from God. Now, there's a sense in which all the Cretan believers, and indeed, we Quincy believers, are slaves of God. If we have the proper attitude towards him as our authority, as our Lord and Savior, he is God. And he makes the rules. He is God, and he sets the standards that we are to obey. We are to submit to God's authority. And Paul could be meaning that. He is associating himself as a slave of God with the, the other slaves of God. But it's also possible that Paul here is intending to convey the same kind of authority as some of the Old Testament prophets and authors of Old Testament scripture, like Moses or David. They were often called Moses, the servant of God. David, the servant of God, or literally the slave of God. It's an authoritative title. You wouldn't think of the, 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 word, the, you know, the word slave as being conveying authority. But in this case, when he says, I am a slave of God, he is conveying that he does not write or speak anything that's not his master's will. It's an authoritative title. Moses the servant of God. David, the slave of God. Paul, the slave of God. So pay attention, he's saying. But Paul also calls himself an apostle or even the apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself chose Paul and commissioned him and assigned him the task of delivering Jesus's message. We mentioned this before last year in our Ephesians study, but by this time, when Paul wrote this, and this was probably after he had been imprisoned in Rome for a period of time and then released. And so this is in the mid-60s. By this time, 
the word apostle or emissary, messenger, had taken on a very specific meaning to include the 11. Remember, there were 12, but then Judas got uh, his comings. And, 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 but it referred to the 11 plus Paul, to whom Jesus revealed himself on the road to Damascus. So it, it had a very technical meaning in this point. When Paul says he's an apostle, he means he is commissioned by Jesus Christ for this task. These apostles spoke and wrote his word as if they were Jesus himself. So when Paul says, I'm a slave of God, that means he's obeying and he has authority from his master to speak and write these words. When he says he's the apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, I have authority because my words are Jesus' words. I've, I was commissioned by Jesus himself. He's not coming up with his own ideas. He's preaching and teaching and writing the very word of God in obedience to the command of God. So Paul, he wrote to Timothy in a very similar way. Look at this verse, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. This isn't something that he's doing of his own accord. He's speaking and writing these words about our precious faith and how to protect it under the authority of God himself. And down in verse 3 of our text, I don't know if I have this one up. On, I do. And at the proper time, this is verse 3, we read this. At the proper time, God manifested his word in the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So Paul is saying, when he speaks and when he writes these words, it's the very word of God. And if they needed to be reminded of the authority of the word of God in their culture, it seems to me like we need to be reminded of it in ours. The Greek is clear here. The word which God used in the past we spoke about him revealing himself in the past. The promised hope of eternal life is now being proclaimed in Paul's preaching. Paul's preaching is the very word of God. Pay attention. Even the other apostles who had apostolic authority of their own submitted to Paul's authority. We have this very interesting instruction here in, in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. This is Peter talking. Peter is an apostle of his, in his own right. He has apostolic authority. But listen what he says. He says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters. There are some things, he goes on, there are some things which are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. This is the Apostle Peter saying, Paul is writing scripture. And Peter was a Jew, and he held the word of God in the Old Testament as being sacred and holy, and he says Paul's writing is on the same level as the scriptures of the Old Testament. So Paul was writing to Titus to lend some of that authority 
to Titus so that people would listen to Titus, so that they would obey his instructions. So this introductory salutary greeting is not just, hey, how you doing, Titus? No. Paul is saying, I am a slave of God. My authority as speaking the word of God comes from God himself. I'm commissioned by Jesus, Titus. So these instructions have authority. Don't let people take advantage of you, Titus, in, on Crete. These instructions that I'm giving you are the very word of God. And like I said, if they on Crete needed to be reminded of the authority of the word of God because of their culture, I think we need to be reminded of it in ours. But Paul isn't a narcissist. He, he's not just flaunting his own authority for his own sake or to give himself power. He's preaching and teaching and guarding something very precious. He is preaching and teaching the faith of God's elect. That's what he says right there in verse 1. For the sake of the faith of God's elect. The elect, the people of God, God's children, they are precious to him. And that means that which God uses to bring them to himself, our faith, is precious. Faith in the finished work of God, the Son, is precious. We speak of faith often as trust, an, an active trust on the part of an in, individual members of God in the promises and provision of God. But we also speak of the faith, the content of that faith, the saving faith given to the elect by grace, Ephesians 2. The faith is the precious truths given to the elect by grace. The faith is the precious truths about the person and work of Jesus. God become man and redeeming to himself a people, forgiving their sins and clothing them with his righteousness by grace through faith. That is the precious faith of the elect, far more precious than any jewels. It is their common faith, which they share together, which we share together. We own it corporately. Paul says Timothy is his son in a common faith. And the believers on Crete are Paul's children and grandchildren in a common faith. Other apostles, writing in similar fashion, speak of the body of truth as the faith as well. Look at how Jude puts it in Jude verses 3 through 4. People say, how come there's no chapter there? It's Jude 3 through 4. Oh, there's only one chapter in Jude. So this is what Jude says. Beloved, I, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. That corpus of teaching, that body of truth, the faith, God appeared in the flesh made a sacrifice of atonement for his people. Now we are clothed in his righteousness. That body of faith, the faith, Jude says, we are to contend for it, to strive for it. Just like Paul is telling us, we are to treasure it and to uh, hold it as being precious. This faith of the elect is precious and needs to be protected because it's their knowledge of the truth 
which accords with godliness. We don't just believe an assent to a set of historical facts. We believe the truth. And it is a truth that must, by its nature, lead to godliness, true godliness. Only the gospel, only the gospel, this content of the faith that we believe, that is all that produces forgiveness of sins and godly living. Human effort and human religion cannot produce lives of godliness because they're based on human systems of earning God's favor, and that's the opposite of the truth of grace. God's grace saves us and produces lives of godliness because it's God's upside-down way of doing things. The truth is our entire life, faith, and practice is God's work in us and for us. Our faith is based on the revelation of the knowledge of God's truth, and it transforms us, or it should. God revealed it, and God cannot and does not lie. You might not be able to trust the word of a Cretan, but you can trust my word, says Paul, because they are the words of God who does not lie. And this faith, based on the truth of the word of God, should be precious to us. It deserves to be guarded and protected. Titus, install the security systems. As we said about precious gems and, and treasures, part of their value is simply the historical value they belong to. They belong to someone important. And that's the same, that's true of our faith. It's based on the promises of God that he has been revealing to his precious people for a long, long time, for ages, Paul says. Paul says before the ages began, a long time ago, God has been revealing this, the content of our faith to us. Look again at verse two. The hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. But now that, that promise and what God has been revealing has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The ancient promise now fulfilled point three on your outline. That should be the next slide, guys. The hope of eternal life. One more slide. One more. There you go. The ancient promise now fulfilled the hope of eternal life. Our faith, what we believe concerning Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us, our faith, our knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness, has been revealed since God came looking for Adam in the garden. You can't live apart from God. Only through God's mercy are our sins covered. God had to make them clothes in the garden. Only through sacrifice does forgiveness come. Adam blew our chance of eternal life by his disobedience, and we fell in him. We have his DNA. Now God alone can give us life through sacrifice by his mercy and grace. God will provide the lamb. God will have mercy. This message was revealed from the garden through the flood to Abraham and Moses. God's plan for the salvation of his people is ancient, and it all pointed to Jesus, which makes it precious. Paul says, even if you Cretans are kind of just hearing about it now, this hope of eternal life and the faith that produces it, it's time-tested and it's true. God cannot lie and is absolutely faithful. Based on the testimony of God's faithfulness, 
to his people, you can be absolutely sure that the faith you have is the real thing. It is precious and should be guarded because this faith is life itself for us. Don't let some thief try to sell you a counterfeit. You have the real jewel. It's worth protecting. It's even worth suffering for. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose of grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. These, I think, are words that we should all memorize. First, Second Timothy 1, 8 through 11. That's your memory assignment for this week. Put those verses back up there, starting with verse 8. I'm going to read it again. All the content of our faith and its authority is found in these three verses. Do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. If you're going to try to protect the testimony of our Lord, you're going to share in suffering. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God, and here we go, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for of which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. That has the content of our faith and the fact that if we stand for it, there's going to be suffering. If we try to guard this, this simple gospel, you'd think, well, that's, it sounds wonderful, but people don't like it because it's a simple gospel truth, not by works, but by grace. And the content of that, that sums up the content of our faith. Another reason why this faith is so precious, finally, one of the, the gems of our common faith that is so precious, <coughs> that needs to be guarded and protected, is the truth that our salvation is accomplished by God. Our salvation, our great salvation, is accomplished by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's amazing in this letter, this little letter that we're going to study for the next few weeks, Paul uses God the Father and Jesus and Christ Jesus interchangeably when it comes to our Savior or our salvation. He, in verse 3, we read he wrote God our Savior. But in verse 4, he writes Christ Jesus our Savior. Well, Paul... Which is it? Both. Because in essence, they are one and the same. There are some real gems in this letter about the deity of Christ. Jesus being God in the flesh. Here in Titus. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Now catch this. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did you see that in verse 13? Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 99.9999% of Greek scholars believe there should be no comma there. And there isn't. And the reason is, is because Paul is talking about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's referring to Jesus Christ, our Savior, as our great God. And that's one of those gems that needs to be protected at all costs. You mess with that, you mess with the deity of Christ, and you need to be shot immediately. <laughs> now, that sounds over the top, but just like a trap door would open up and... and swallow that little girl if she tried to scratch the glass. If someone tries to mess with the deity of Christ, <laughs> the, the, the security guards need to get them out of here. Or at least the trap door should open and drop you out of the room. Our salvation, our faith, our hope of eternal life is found in the purpose and will of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's created and owned by someone very important. And it is valuable beyond worth. So in this little letter, some of the protective measures that, Titus tells, that Paul tells Titus he needs to install, some of them might seem a little nitpicky or over the top. I mean, literally, in one place, we're going to read that anyone who attacks the faith needs to be hogtied and gagged. In the Greek, that's what it says. That's how precious it is. Hog-tied and gagged, but that's how precious this faith of the elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness based on the hope of eternal life. Way more precious than jewels. Way more precious than royal treasure, because it is royal treasure. The content of our faith is royal treasure set into motion by the king of the universe. So what? Live it, treasure it, and guard it. While this little letter to Titus, it, it's written to Titus, it's really for the believers at Crete, and then by extension, us. It is to show us that the truth of the grace of God, which is our faith, our knowledge of the truth, which leads to godliness and hope of eternal life, is very precious and to be guarded and protected. Paul lends his apostolic authority to the instructions, which are for all churches, not just the churches on the island of Crete. We're going to get a lot more into the problem that was the church at Crete uh, and what Paul instructs them to do in the coming weeks. But for now, just the introduction of this letter should inspire us to consider and fully appreciate what we have, what we believe. Ours is a faith that is true, that leads to godliness, that leads to eternal life. One of the most important ways that we show we value it and treasure it is to live it. Otherwise, it's just a fake, a counterfeit, a forgery. It is truth that leads to godliness. And really, 
you don't need me to tell you what godliness looks like. You know. You've been around this thing enough. You know what godliness looks like. So let's live it. If our faith is precious to us, let's live it. We're familiar with the life instructions found in here. Let's live it. Let's show we love it and hold this faith in high regard by living it. But it is also very important that we guard it. And we're going to learn just how to do that in coming weeks. But even when it comes to guarding the faith, you know it. You know what needs to be guarded. You have a gut feeling in you from the Holy Spirit about what needs to be guarded. Most of you have been around this thing for a long time. You know what is really true. You know that Jesus is God who came to die for us on the cross as a sacrifice of atonement so that we could be forgiven and clothed in his righteousness. So when you hear someone say something like, you need to get your act together so you can go to heaven, ask, where's that written? Where's the gospel in that? I give all of you free permission to, when I say something up here, ask me, where's that written? Where's the gospel in that? How does what that person's saying conform with the content, the body of faith that we have? The opposite is also true. When you hear someone saying, I'm forgiven, I can go out and live like a banshee. Ask them, where's that written? Where's the gospel in that? Ask the same question. Our gospel of grace, the content of what we believe, is very precious. Let's love it. Cherish it. Live it. Guard it and protect it. Like the precious treasure that it is. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would give us such an appreciation for what we have, this, this body of doctrine that we call the doctrines of grace, the gospel. Help us to treasure it. Help us to cherish it. Help us to be willing to stand up to people who, who, who bring in fake, fake gospel. You can earn it. Or a fake gospel, you're too bad. God can't save you. Those are fake gospels. Lord, help us to be willing to stand up and even to suffer for the sake of this precious faith that is ours. It is your very truth. You commissioned Paul to, to, to write and, and speak your very words, the words of the gospel. Lord, help us put in the protective security systems that are needed around here to protect the gospel. But most of all, Lord, help us steer us to godliness because this is a faith in accordance with godliness. It is the precious faith of the elect that is the knowledge of the truth which leads to godliness. Lord, change our hearts, change our lives, change our minds. Give us a love. May the gospel be the most valuable thing to us in our lives. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word with a song that conveys the truth of the gospel. 
Our identity is in Christ, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I am who you say I am. Let's stand together as we sing. Thank you.